I'm just going to read the first opening verses here of Joshua 23, and then we'll jump, uh, jump into it. Uh, a long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, Joshua was old and well advanced in years, and he summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain. Along with them, all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. Let's pray. Lord, so thankful for your faithfulness to do exactly what you promised to do. We're so thankful for... um, fighting for us, God, uh, for, for being our provider and our protector, and we thank you for um, being great. Uh, your greatness extends across all creation, and as we sung about that this morning, from, from every tribe, tongue, and nation, we'll declare you as Lord, and we'll bow before you. You are great and mighty to be praised. Lord, be with us as we look at your word. May it challenge us and encourage us this morning to find our rest in you, to trust you, and to look to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so I've got the, the chiastic structure set up for you for this passage. Give me, give me, give me, my, give me my outline here. Uh, this is what we're walking through today. Joshua is old. Okay? I told, we've, I told you there's chiasm all over the place. Uh, there's chiasm in Joshua chapter 23. So Joshua chapter 23 and Joshua chapter 24 are Joshua's kind of uh, send-off to the people of Israel. So 23 is kind of an informal uh, statement to them, telling them and reminding them of the things God has done and uh, encouraging them that it is the Lord that fights for them, Okay. And then in chapter 24, what we'll see is they're going to go through a formal, more formal uh, covenant renewal process. Uh, in your Bibles, you might see these sections distinguished as like Joshua to the leaders uh, and then Joshua to the congregation uh, as a header. Just a reminder to not necessarily listen to the headers because they don't always make sense. Uh, I was reading through mine and I, I titled this Joshua to the leaders. But the truth is, in both chapters, 23 and 24, he's talking to all the people. He summons the elders, he summons the leaders, but he's talking to all the tribes. And so he's encouraging them first uh, in this truth that God is the one who fights for us. Um, And then formally, they'll be walking through this covenant renewal, this uh, uh, encouragement and exhortation to uh, believe on on, on what the Lord is doing. So here's our structure for this morning. Right in the middle, you can see the Lord fights for you. Josh is going to start out saying he's old. He's going to end saying he's old. He's going to then say that the Lord is the one who will drive out the nations. And as you can see, be prime. He's going to come to conclusion saying the Lord will not drive out the nations. Why is that the case? Why would he and would he not? Well, if you cling to the Lord, he will continue to drive out the nations. If you do not cling to the Lord, he will refrain from driving out the nations. You guys remember that there are peoples still in the land. God has Uh, purposed to leave some, and also some of the people have left some in disobedience. So there are, at the end of the day, people in the land. And so he says, if you continue to cling to me, we will continue to advance and remove that which I've called to be judged. 
As you cling to the Lord, um, he will continue to drive out the nations, and if you do not, he will allow them to stay. And right at the center, this is not your doing. The Lord is the one who fights. The Lord is the one who is doing this. From start to finish, what is happening is the Lord is bringing judgment on the land of Canaan. And the instrument is the people of Israel. They, in turn, get to reap the blessing of the covenant of the Lord, but also the curses of that if they do not believe. And so you can see through this passage that we'll, that we'll walk through that, that his, he's getting us to this central point. Do not forget, this is not about you. This is about the Lord doing this battle, going forward in his glory and his might. And as you cling to me, I will bless you. As you do not cling to me, you will be harmed. So first, uh, Joshua is old. And this is the passage that I read to start us out as in both sections of him, you know, acknowledging his elderly age. And, and by old, uh, we're looking at like uh, between 90 and 120, like old. So, um, so yeah, you just retirement age, about, about retirement, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so this is, this is probably like uh, 25 years past the last kind of like chapter 22, okay? So a long time later, 25 years later, Joshua said, hey, I'm old, basically I'm about to die, um, and I want to remind you of some things just like Moses did before he died. And so in both sections that he's saying, hey, I'm old, um, he reminds them of the promises of God. He says, you have seen, as he has seen, that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. He's acknowledging to them that the Lord has done this. Remember, I've seen, I've seen many, many years, and it's the Lord's doing that has happened, that happened here. And that's what he tells them. So Joshua's old, encouraging them that the Lord has fought for them. Second, the Lord will drive out the nations. Verse 5 says this, The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord has promised you. So verse 5, the Lord, as he has called them, is going to continue to push out the nations as they follow. The Lord is the one driving them out. And ultimately, the people will uh, possess this land as God has promised. In uh, chapter 24, we'll see them recount the entirety of the, uh, the history of the people of Israel, like we have seen many times, that the Lord called Abraham out of Ur and then showed him this land. And then the people went down into slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and it is God's hand that, that brought them out. And so we'll go over that some next week, but what he's telling them is, the Lord has promised you this land 500 years ago, okay? And he is now driving out these nations. He is, what he's doing, he's fulfilling these promises that he made many, many years ago. So next we see the admonition from Joshua for them as the Lord drives out these nations to cling to the Lord, verses 6 to 8. He says this, Therefore be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them 
or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. So the threat is there, right? He acknowledges here that these nations are remaining. And he says, do not mention or make mention of the names of their God. Do not swear to them or serve them or bow to them. Rather, cling to the Lord. It can be very easy over a long course of time to get familiar with, right? And to feel comfortable with the people that have been left in the land and start to just like become friendly there. And God is saying, do not do that. They're serving other gods and they will call you to serve other gods as well. But rather cling to the Lord your God just as you've done today. At the center of Joshua's uh, encouragement to them at this moment, he, he says in, in verses 9 and 10, it is the Lord who fights for you. The Lord is the one that is bringing judgment in upon this people and he is the one doing the fighting. Verses 9 to 10, For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand. As we've looked at, you know, the different battles we've gone through, Jericho and Ai and uh, the, the kings of the southern kingdom and the kings of the northern kingdom, uh, the victories have been miraculous. Joshua has been clear in his presentation that there is no way in the natural that these things would occur. But rather, it is God's hand that has gone forth to knock down walls and to call out armies and to raise up people to come against and, and for great armies to be, de be defeated by an inferior force that has no land, that is in the process of taking the land, right? The, Israel had no fortified cities of their own. They're coming into this land. And God drew them out and, and fought for them in front of these nations that came against them. So one man of you puts to flight a thousand. It doesn't make sense. The numbers don't add up. You shouldn't be able to go into this land in defeat. And we saw, you know, 40 years before, there was another generation that came to this land and said, no way. In the natural, we cannot do it. They are too big. They are too strong. It's a great land, but it's just too hard. And God is saying now to this generation, and so is Joshua, that the Lord is the one that has been fighting. It was never going to be about your strength to begin with. The Lord is the one who fights for you. One man puts to flight a thousand. It is the Lord, your God, who fights for you just as he promised. What in the natural doesn't make sense, God makes much sense of. So that's the center point, that, that God is the one that has fought for this people, this people of Israel, and we need to hold on to that thought for a minute. Um, so coming out of that central point, again, he says, okay, if you do cling to these nations, this is what's going to happen, verses 11 to 12. And we were talking about it some uh on, well, really 11 to, to 13 as a whole, just how like uh, emphatic Joshua is in these verses. But first, if you cling to the nations, 
uh, verses 11 and 12. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. If you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, then the Lord will stop driving them out. Verse 13, then know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. He says, I'm not worried about your heritage, okay? Your lineage that we so, uh, you know, cling to in our lives, say, oh, well, I'm an Irish, uh, I was born a Native Americans, or, you know, whatever it is, like all this lineage that we hold stock in and say, oh, this is my great-great-great-great-grandfather, and he did such and such, right? That's what they did, too. And, and somehow we, like, have these rights we feel we have out of that heritage, and we're proud of that thing, okay? And God is saying, it is not about the fact that you were natural born to Abraham, that I'm just going to bless you because you were a son of Abraham. He says, if you become like these people, then I will drive you out as well. Look at verse 12 again. If you turn back and cling to the, not to God, but rather to the remnant of the nations, remaining among you and make marriages with them and associate with them and they with you, then know for certain the Lord your God will no longer drive them out before you. But instead, you will perish off this good ground. God is not giving them favors based on their birthright. Okay? He's giving them favors, giving them favor because of their faith. And their trust in God as the one who is fighting and not in themselves. The whole problem in Canaan is that everyone is fighting for themselves. And God is saying, at some point after hundreds and hundreds of years, I'm going to put a stop to that. And that's how he used Israel to come in to Canaan and stop them from their evil ways. But the Lord says, hey, if you cling to their nations, then you're one of them. And I'll drive you out as well. I will not drive them out. They will become a snare to you. They will become a trap, a whip on your sides, thorns in your eyes, and you will perish off this good ground. Joshua makes it very clear that this is both, both in the present of like you're trusting in the nations, it is going to be painful, and then ultimately it will remove you. So Joshua concludes again by saying, he's old, 14 to 16. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. I'm going to die. And you know in your hearts and your souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you off this good land that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly off the good land that he has given you. Joshua says, remember, God has fulfilled all his promises. And if you want to give your allegiance to him, then he will bring you into all that he is doing. But if you put your allegiance somewhere else, then how could you be his child? 
He will treat you like he treated the nations if you do not trust in him. They finally here arrived, and Joshua's, you know, they arrived in the land. The land is subdued. The people are no longer coming out to fight against them. We would call this, as we look at the sort of history of, uh, of Scripture, that they have come to rest in the land God has given them. God has subdued the nations. They're at rest in this land. They they're, they're, uh, feel comfortable here. They feel like God has given this to them, okay? And Joshua, in this moment, is saying, yeah, you're here. We're here, and God has done amazing things. But do not stop. Do not just sit back and become comfortable, but rather continue to cling to the Lord. If you don't cling to the Lord, you will likely cling to the gods of the nations. And so his challenge then, before he goes the way of the earth, is cling to the Lord. You've, yeah, you're here. We've taken the land. The Lord has taken the land on your behalf. So cling to him. Stay true to him. And find your rest in him. A while back, uh, we were preaching uh, through the book of Acts. And this is like, like way back. Way back. We were, so far back, we were in the New Testament. That's how far back, okay? That was way back. Um, so that was like, I think it was like 2015 or 14. Anyway, so we're going through the book of Acts. And we come to this verse about uh, a disciple named Apollos. And it says this in Acts chapter 18, 24 to 28. And apologies, this is, a bit, this is gonna be a little bit convoluted to get here, but I think you need to hear this point. We need to hear this point. Um, verse 24 to 28 of Acts. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew him knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross uh, to Acacia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So Apollos is this man who we think uh, was either the contributor to or the author of the book of Hebrews. Okay, Hebrews was either written by Paul or some unknown person or maybe Apollos. And Apollos was definitely a contributor to what was happening. So he jumped off from this point in Acts to to hear some of Apollo's thoughts on the scriptures of God, which would have been the Old Testament, right? When it talks about scriptures in the New Testament, it's talking about the Old Testament. Those are the only scriptures they have. Um, and he writes in this, uh, in Hebrews, in the very middle of it, Hebrews 3, 7 to 4, 13, there's a big section where he's talking about rest. That God has given a rest to us. So Joshua chapter 23, verse 1, started out this way. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, Joshua was old and well advanced in years. What has happened in chapter 23 
is God has given the people rest. They're in the land that God had promised them. He had fulfilled it. The enemies are subdued. And so we have this uh, conversation then in Hebrews where there's a wrestling going on with, well, like, if rest has come, is it totally here yet? I mean, the, the people took the land. Didn't they find rest? So in, in Hebrews 3, 7 to, uh, 7 to chapter 4, verse 13, he's wrestling with this because he says, uh, even those who walked out of Egypt with the Lord fell in the desert. So I'm going to read through a few things here. Hebrews 3, 15, 9, uh, 15 to 19. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by, and led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that we are unable to enter because of our heritage, because of our strength, because of our, no, because of our unbelief. So he continues on, verse 12 to 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if we indeed hold our original confidence firm to the end. Going on in verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, it says this, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What Hebrews wrestles with in, chapter, in the middle of that, chapter 4, verse 1 to 7, it says, you know, when Joshua came to this land, he did not fully receive rest. The rest was not done. It's pointing forward to something else. And what it's pointing forward to is rest in Christ. The story in the New Testament is the same as the story in the Old Testament. Okay? It's not, it's not different stories. God is challenging us in both cases to acknowledge that the Lord is the one who fights for us, okay? And the one in whom we have rest is not our own strength, but rather what Christ has done on our behalf. This word from Hebrews is so challenging because it reminds me of the words from Joshua where he's saying to the people, cling to the Lord, Cling to him. This is not a passive thing that we enter the kingdom. You have to cling to him. He's saying to them, as they have inherited the land, right? They've seen these nations be subdued. And his admonishment to them is cling to the Lord. Because if you don't cling to the Lord, you will cling to these nations and it will be your demise. And the same word is true in the New Testament. As Hebrews, as the writer of Hebrews is wrestling with this truth, He's looking at the Old Testament going, oh, 
they were not at rest when they had a land. There was something more God was doing, something more to what God was showing them. And what he was showing them was, I am your rest. It's not about that land. It's about the presence of God. Do not cling to this land, to these nations, to these things that you see, but rather cling to the Lord. And so it's challenged then to the people of that day. In Ephesus, Apollos is writing this to them. He says, strive to enter the rest. How do we strive unless we acknowledge and know that the Word of God, is, this Word, right? You guys have Bibles all around here. I've got a Bible here. It's not just words on a page. It says, strive to enter this rest. How do you strive to enter it? Know who God is. For this book, these words are living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of your heart and soul. Can you read this Bible and these words and you are cut to the heart with it? It challenges you. You either read it and say, that's crazy, and walk away. Or you read it and are stirred to embrace this God who has poured out his love so greatly that he sent his son to die for you. You cannot look at this book and just be like, eh. It's either going to offend you and you're going to turn from it or you're going to embrace it and it's going to be the life spring of you. And it is not passive. Apollos is saying, strive to enter this rest. Allow the word of God to be living and active in you piercing your soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning your thoughts and the intentions of your heart. I don't know about you, but like I sometimes struggle to discern my own heart, to discern my own thoughts. And what God is challenging us with is, you want to know if your thoughts are right? You want to know if your heart's intentions are correct? Then go and sit before this sword and let it pierce you and challenge you and stir you up to place your faith not in your strength, but rather in God. Let him be the one who fights for you. We have to cling to the Lord rather than our flesh. As I've said all along as we've gone through Joshua, you can picture the land and the people of the land uh, as you know, your body. I mean, this is, Joshua is the salvation story played out in the land of Israel. Each of us look around at our lives, and we've got temptations, maybe nations, that we've kind of left in, in our world. We've let them fester and grow and be there. And God says, remove them completely. Don't stop removing them till they're completely gone. Joshua, you know, the, the taking of the land, the conquest of the land is similar to, uh, like into, God's takeover of your heart, of your entire life. He doesn't want part of it. He wants the whole. And so strive and cling to him because once we stop striving and clinging to him, we strive and cling toward the things of this world. 
and the word that is spoken by Joshua over the people would come to us. These things would be a snare and a trap and a whip on our sides and thorns in our eyes until we perish. The root of sin, as we let it fester, continues to grow and produce death. But when we strive to enter the rest that God has provided, then we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So I challenge us this morning to go with this. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. We all know there is a war going on in our hearts. It's constant. We, we battle our attitudes toward our kids, toward our spouses, toward our job, uh, toward you know, our friends. Like We battle how, you know, how we're responding to life. And so often we want to act in a selfish way and gratify our flesh. But rather God says, do not gratify what your flesh is telling you. Your flesh is seeking its own comfort. Your flesh wants to reject the promises of God and run back to Egypt where there was fish. It's like literally what they're crying out for as soon as they get out of Egypt. Can we go back? They had some good food. Like, did you see the pillar? Like, ah, you know, but we're the same. So quick are we to turn and just run. Well, everybody else is doing it this way, and it's like more, it works better if you just follow what the, these suggestions from the world they're doing good things. No. Trust in the Lord. Strive to enter His rest, and He will give it to you. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Cling to the Lord. Second, let's go with this. The Lord is the one who fights for you. Okay? It's good to acknowledge that there's a spiritual battle, right? And to engage in that and to uh, cling to the Lord. But let us not forget, it is not us doing that. The Lord is the one fighting. Even in our spiritual battle, even in our spiritual fight, we can get to this place where, okay, if I just like, get really bared down on having my quiet time every single day and getting up, then I'll set this routine, and then all of a sudden everything's going to be good. And so quickly we've turned a spiritual action into our effort. And God says, no, let me fight for you. Yet yeah, you're not going to wake up to your alarm on time every time. And if you let the breaking of your routine break your faith in the Lord, then you've got a different kind of a problem. I've had that problem, okay? Just, that's a confession from me, okay? Um, I think that my spiritual plan to trust in the Lord was the one that I was supposed to follow. And turns out, God has better plans than I do, even in the spiritual fight. So just because you miss, you know, your routine or whatever, let go of that. 
and find, you know, whatever that day is going to give you, find that the Lord is fighting for you in spite of your thing being broken. When we cling to him and we will let him fight for us, that is when we are at rest. There is no anxiety anymore. There's no anxiousness when you are clinging to the Lord of heaven and earth, who is your creator, your provider, your protector. And when you acknowledge that it is he who is fighting for you and not yourself, all the burden is taken away. Your burden is now cast on the Lord, and he is good enough. He is perfect for it and fills it and holds it for us. He fights for us and gives us rest. And so, in spite of the circumstances we see, the thousand men before us, right, they will flee at one of us because of the way the Lord fights for us. We look at circumstances and add them up in our, in our lives and go, can't be done. I don't know how he's going to do it. There's no way through this. We're going to have to pay a ton of money to solve the problem. And we don't have a ton of money. And then, if you trust the Lord... He either, like, dumps the money in your lap or gives you wisdom to see there's another way. And let me show it to you. Here it is. Walk in it. There's no need to be anxious about the circumstances that come our way. We cast them to the Lord, cling to Him, and let Him fight for us. And He will give us rest. Um... The reason Joshua and the reason Apollos uses this language, cling and strive. They're trying to get across the point that faith isn't just like a light switch. You just flick it on and oh, and I've got faith. It's like, no. Strive. Because in truth, there really are a thousand people, right? There's a thousand men chasing after you, right? And you can either see that you know, that's a reality, right? The people of Israel, as they're going in these lands, are going, mm, this is like, doesn't add up. We don't match up. We're on, this, they're, we're on a different plane here, strength-wise. And so you have to cling and strive and go into that battle going, God's got it. Everyone else looking at us is going, there's no way they're going to cross the Jordan River at flood stage. There's no way they're going to knock down the walls of Jericho, the fortified city. There's no way they're going to beat the people of Ai and Bethel. And there isn't in the natural, just as there isn't a way for us in the natural so many times. And so strive and cling is not like a flippant word. It is something we have to embrace and acknowledge that in spite of what I am seeing, I am going to cling to the Lord. Yeah, it doesn't add up. But God has told me this is the way to go. And so I will go. In spite of how it adds up on paper, I will go. It is the Lord who fights for us. And if he can move heaven and earth, they can move anything that we're facing. And that is where we find rest in life. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that uh, even in convoluted explanation, I pray this message has gotten across to our hearts that you are my rest. You are our rest. You're the one who fights for us, not us. 
Lord, we cling to you. We strive to enter the rest that you have provided. Lord, shield our eyes. Shield our eyes from the ways of this world that we might see the way you are walking us through. Lord, you are good and faithful and just as with the people of Israel, you have fulfilled every single promise you made to them. And if any of us have walked the road of following you for any amount of time, we know the same as we look back at our lives that you have fulfilled every single promise you made to us. And we testify to that and glory in that God that you are good and merciful and faithful. And we give you all the glory and the honor and praise for you alone are God. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.